Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we've got a long one for you, so let's just dive right in. On your screen right now is a tweet from Quinton Smith, or Quinns as he goes by on Twitter and elsewhere, that says the following, been working on this for a while, who boy. Today, Roblox is the most popular game in North America and Europe. It's time you knew about how it's using a generation of young vulnerable game developers, which says, you know how the quote-unquote investigation is going to go before it starts. The premise of this video that's gotten pretty popular on YouTube in the last little while, and a number of you have asked me about, is that Roblox, which has been valued by the marketplace at about $42 billion, is exploiting the developers that make its games, or as they call them, experiences. Now, before we get fully into the substance here, I do want to say a few things. One, like I like to do in this space, I like to give disclaimers. I'm a big fan of Quentin Smith. I'm a big fan of his board game channel, Shut Up and Sit Down. I think it's one of the best places for board game reviews in the world, certainly on the internet, and I'm a regular viewer of his content. You can see all the red lines there. I haven't gotten to his most recent video. So it brings me no amount of pleasure to make this video, which really I think is going to discuss the many failings that I have found both in the logic and presentation of this quote-unquote investigation that he has done through a company that I wasn't familiar with called People Make Games. With that as our background, let's talk about Roblox. Now, I pulled up the parents page for Roblox. Roblox is a global platform where millions of people gather together every day to imagine, create, and share experiences with each other in immersive, user-generated 3D worlds. The types of gameplay on Roblox are just as limitless as the imagination of the creators themselves. All the online games you see on the platform have been built by members of the Roblox community for members of the Roblox community. In fact, as part of this video, which of course I will link in the description, you will see Quentin talk about the fact that the executives at Roblox have said, we want kids developing games for kids. Players can build the ultimate theme park, compete as a professional race car driver, star in a fashion show, become a superhero, or simply design a dream home and hang out with friends. Roblox is free to download and free to play on all modern smartphones, tablets, computers, Xbox, Oculus, and HTC Vive. Now, speaking of those experiences, we've talked a lot about Roblox in this space, a little bit unexpectedly, because their name has come up again and again in the Apple versus Epic lawsuit, which we've only got now at about 51 videos in our playlist. And that name came up because there was a fight around whether Roblox was allowing people to purchase other video games within this one video game in a way that violated the Apple terms of service. In the middle of this lawsuit, Roblox actually changed references in its marketing materials and its descriptions to change away from saying that they were selling games within their space and instead saying they are selling experiences. Quentin talks about this in the video and says it's a legal matter. It's really more of a contractual matter, but we'll allow it because those are differences that are without distinction. Now, in terms of what is Roblox, It's important to note that it's a lot of free things all at once. Here we've got the parents page that talks about detection and reporting and chat filters and parental controls. It's also a set of free tools, which is where the premise of Mr. Smith's video comes into focus. And that premise is as follows. I've been taking quotes from across the video and putting them into the various subject matter headings that I think are the most pertinent for purposes of this conversation. But if you think I missed anything, leave a comment to this video so that we can talk about it in that space. His premise is as follows. The kids that make things in Roblox aren't just hobbyists. They are doing real work, 
that is driving the value of one of the biggest video game publishers in history. And kids working too hard with unreasonable expectations isn't bad for the company and is the heart of Roblox's success. So these kids are doing hard labor in the video game development mines. They're making Roblox into the $42 billion juggernaut that they have become. And that process of having these kids work so hard on these games is the heart of the company's success, writ large. Now, we're going to talk about those premises because I think they're pretty much assumed as part of the video. They aren't really discussed. There's not a big deep dive into how Roblox makes its money, how it doesn't make its money. There's a lot of assumptions in this video. And as we've talked about in Virtual Reality, I think that's often a footfault because I might not agree with your assumptions. And if you don't establish them for me, then it's pretty easy for me to say, I don't know where you're coming from. Now, one of the places Mr. Smith is coming from is that Roblox is worth that $42 billion. They had a $500 million offering just before their public offering, the direct listing as described here in VentureBeat. And then when they did open this March on a public exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, they were valuing their shares. The investors were that were purchasing and selling the shares in Roblox at $42 billion, not a share as VentureBeat says here. You'd be really, really, really rich with that number, but no, $42 billion for the entire enterprise. And that's what the exchanges were based on. That's pretty darn good for a company that has kids developing games for kids. Now his argument is split into a number of areas. And I wanna give you subject headings here because we're gonna be focusing on them in these subject matters. First is encouragement. He says Roblox is essentially encouraging kids to develop for it with what I believe are viewed as deceptive promises of making big cash, making fast money, that kind of thing. The second major issue he has is the revenue split. We'll actually be treating that third in this particular video, but that the actual number, the dollar amount, when a dollar comes in, the split between Roblox and the developers is unfair. The third is the findability question. The fact that Roblox doesn't take extra effort to get all of its experiences up in front of customers' eyeballs. And it also sells advertising if you'd like to get those experiences in front of eyeballs. And then the fourth issue is with respect to the concept of Robux. If you've played any video game in the last decade, you're familiar with the concept of a separate virtual currency that you purchase into the ecosystem and that probably doesn't come out of that ecosystem very easily. Mr. Smith frames the issue with Robux as one of exploitation, and we'll be talking about that as well. But first, let's start out with what he has to say about encouragement. The tools are free. The hosting's free. The tools actually let you skip the traditional learning curve associated with 3D modeling. Roblox even handles the moderation of your players for you. But people using these tools to just get creative doesn't make Roblox money. It actually loses them money because servers are expensive. Now, this is a naturally intuitive kind of argument, right? First, we have to acknowledge, we have to give full credit where it's due. This video says, hey, Roblox does a lot of cool stuff for free. In fact, in the conclusions that we'll be talking about, he mentions this again. They give away all this cool free stuff. I wish it wasn't as effectively exploitative. But they give away that cool free stuff. And he says, but they don't want you to just be making creative stuff with it because that doesn't make Roblox money. And, and here's where I have my first issue. And I think you should put a pin in this and you should remember it as we talk about the rest of the arguments in this video, because it's kind of suggestive of a problem that this video exhibits, which is just that Roblox is a big, bad company and its only method of making money or value is exploitation. And that's kind of an assumed premise. Instead, Let's imagine that Roblox is in the business of selling Robux, virtual currency, to people that engage 
with their system and with their platform. Virtually anything that encourages that engagement is going to be useful to their bottom line. One of those things might be to provide free tools to get you involved, to see other kids, other people making money, making things that are fun, maybe just showing them off to their friends. You saw on that parents page, that was what was referenced, just hanging out, not necessarily even selling things for monetary gain. And if that engagement mechanism isn't whatever problem you might have with the current modern video game environment, addictive or exploitative or something else, then there really isn't a problem with it. And more importantly, if you think at Roblox that just having kids having these tools, potentially fooling around with them, seeing how these games that they love are made, continues to have them operating in the Roblox environment, then that's good, regardless of whether or not they make something that they put up in your marketplace, which I have to believe, based on a number of the other things that this video alone says later on, is Roblox's end state. They don't care whether you get a game up into their 20 million experiences because 20 million is already more than enough to sell eyeballs into their ecosystem. What they care about is that you're turning Roblox on every day, that you're thinking about Roblox, that you're thinking about your friends in Roblox. And is that exploitative? I don't know. It is modern gaming. We'd have to talk about that writ large about how modern gaming is built. Is it different from how other games are built? No, it's definitely not. People go in and play Fortnite. They play Fortnite creative mode. They play around with their friends. They probably make a lot less money or have the possibility of a lot less money than any of the things that are described in this video. And yet, is that exploitation? You might, if you're a parent that hates video games, come in and say you're wasting your time, Johnny or June. But it's not, in my view, exploitation. It's the voluntary exchange of time and resources. And hopefully you're getting something out of it. If you're playing Fortnite, you're playing Roblox, you're playing Minecraft or anything else. Continuing with his argument, which is why the moment Roblox's core player base of 9 to 15 year olds starts playing, they are submerged in this idea that they could be an entrepreneur, which is treated with a little tinge of uh, anger here, at least as presented in the video, if not anger, uh, disdain for the concept, which is interesting to me, and I'm an American dreamer. Hey, I work with entrepreneurs every day. I own my own law firm. I, I like that. I like the concept of, hey, in this game, you could potentially be an entrepreneur, make your own way, have your own business, sell your own thing. And as long as parents are around, as long as you're having these conversations with your kids about how hard it is out in the world, out in the world of Roblox or the real one, I think it's actually potentially a pretty useful learning environment to see just how difficult things like findability are, just how easy it is for someone to promise you the moon and not deliver. Doesn't make it exploitative, but it does make it interesting. Now, you do get some pretty good points here with how this is presented from Mr. Smith. They see make anything, reach millions of players, and earn serious cash. Creators like you, it says, are getting paid for what they love to do. And you can certainly see how this kind of messaging is perhaps pretty attractive to someone that's already in the Roblox environment and potentially thinking about making their own stuff. But as we go further in this video, again, keep a pin in... If this didn't say earn serious cash, if this just said make anything and reach millions of players, is it better for the average 13-year-old who's otherwise engaging with the Roblox platform? If the entire ability of someone to go and get cash money, U.S. American dollars, out of the ecosystem at Roblox were just eliminated, is their life better? Is this less exploitative than it might otherwise be? Are kids going to stop potentially making games in what is one of the most popular video game platforms on the market. Keep that in mind as we continue to discuss. 
argument further. While the average indie game on Steam makes several thousand dollars, the vast majority of games, sorry, experiences on Roblox earn their creators zero dollars. But we know it works because Roblox has 20 million experiences made by its mostly young audience. Now, you've got a number of assumptions here. The first is this discussion of hobbyism versus professionalism. He says, well, if you go on Steam, you can make several thousand dollars. It probably comes from information and infographics like the one you're now seeing on your screen, which notes a couple of things. One, over 50% of indie games on Steam have never made more than $4,000. And if you go and you look at these charts, in almost every category, a majority of indie games released in those categories don't ever make more than $10,000. You also have to go and look at the source here, which says this doesn't even include Steam's cut, return games, or discounts. So when you're taking this all into account, you have to say, okay, $0 is bad. But for somebody that's releasing a game, self-publishing it on Steam, is $4,000 before Steam's cut much better? And does that take them from being a hobbyist to a professional? I'm sure they'd love to be professionals. A lot of people would. That's why video games are so popular. But does this actually solve the problem that you're trying to attack? Or maybe Quinn's next video is going to be an attack on Steam. It's unclear, but I don't think his point is being made to quite the level of strength that he thinks he is making it. Several thousand dollars is not the difference between quitting your job and not. So that remains a kind of hobbyist type number. And is Roblox doing something vastly different? I would argue that they are not. In fact, I would also argue, and there's a tension between these arguments in the video that Mr. Smith has made, that the fact that there are 20 million experiences at the price level and the developer share that Roblox is putting out there is in wild tension with the argument that they should be paying more. It's baseline economics to say you get more of what you pay for more, supply and demand. But if you have so many copies of games that you are going to have a findability and advertising problem, then maybe the right step isn't to pay developers more, but to pay them differently or to otherwise reorganize yourself. Or if you are Mr. Smith and the other professionals that he has on his video, apparently getting rid of the entire concept of getting paid at all will solve the exploitation problem. In convincing its young users that making money on the platform is possible, and he doesn't even go so far as to say it's probable or accuse them of any nefarious activity with their marketing, but just is possible, it gets hundreds of thousands of free workers pouring all of their imagination and spirit into inventing the next big Roblox success story. And while, by my estimation, 99.9% .9 of them flame out and make no money at all, that doesn't affect Roblox's bottom line one bit. Now, there's so many things in this statement, which is really the end of the encouragement portion of his video, that contradict each other that it's almost wild to me. So first, you're calling these people free workers, and you're going to see this throughout the video because they're going to have a labor activist organizer on. They're going to be talking about organizing and unionizing and collective bargaining and things like that. And one of the things that's happening here is a conflagration of messing up the difference between workers and gig members or contractors, or if you're fully a lawyer, an independent contractor slash consultant relationship. And assuming for this purpose that somebody that is making something with free tools provided by Roblox is a worker, is an employee, is otherwise beholden to Roblox in some fashion that is deserving of additional protection when they might just be fooling around with the tools, seeing if something cool pops up, and spending their time doing the same thing that you or I might have been doing when we were putting together Battlestar Galactica models in our bedroom, but with the possibility of other people seeing them. 
while my estimation is 99% of them flame out, is also an interesting kind of contradiction because, again, remember, the premise here is that they are the heart of Roblox's success, that these kids making games is what makes Roblox a $42 billion entity. And if 99.9% of them flame out, and if Roblox doesn't care whether they flame or not, it doesn't affect Roblox's bottom line one bit, what exactly is your premise of exploitation? Roblox doesn't care whether they make them or not. So how are they exploiting these workers? How are they exploiting these gig workers, independent consultants, whatever you might frame them as, depending on which angle you're coming at this particular issue from? And I think he's right here, but he stumbles across a correct point without changing the underlying thesis of his video. Roblox doesn't care whether the kids make things to put on the marketplace. They already have 20 million of them. What they care about is making sure that kids continue to come to the platform. And to some extent, that's going to need developers. But as we'll also see as part of this video, that development slot has been filled in large part by a professional kind of Roblox developer. The other aspect of this that I think gets missed, and we'll see it gets mixed when we talk about the revenue share concept, is what is happening with the numbers at Roblox. So one thing that's important to note is how accounting happens here. And if you've been in virtual reality before, you know I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm a corporate lawyer, but I know enough to be dangerous with respect to accounting. And I think Mr. Smith rightly says in his video, it's too opaque for even my analysts to figure out. But one of the things that's happening here is that they are focusing on bookings. Or as VentureBeat talks about here, most video game companies emphasize non-GAAP bookings. GAAP is generally accepted accounting principles that provide guideposts and rules as to how you talk about money coming in and out because there are differences in when somebody buys something, especially in the digital space. VentureBeat explains it pretty well. They use booking or the total value of virtual currency purchases by players during the time period instead of revenues, which under accounting rules are limited to those purchases that are expected to be resolved within the time period. For instance, a player may buy Robux currency in the first quarter, but spend it over 10 months. That revenue has to be recognized over time as it is spent inside the platform's games. So the company generally reports on bookings. Hey, you come up to the Robux counter and I sell you a hundred bucks of Robux. That's a booking, but now I have a certain liability, and this can be described in very different ways depending on your accountant and what your standards are, but I have a certain liability, which is I owe you a hundred Robux of stuff over the course of the next however long Robux lasts for. And so when you spend them in my space, I can realize that and it goes into a different accounting column, but I can also tell folks that, hey, I've got a lot of people coming up to the Robux counter and buying Robux, even though I don't anticipate that those will actually be spent in my ecosystem for some period of time. When they report these things, and we will see this later on in the video, they report their percentages against bookings rather than revenue, even though there wouldn't necessarily be a relationship between actually spending the Robux and buying the Robux for some period of time. And I think that creates difficulties for people understanding what's happening and certainly difficulties for Mr. Smith in the video that he has presented. The second aspect of his argument is this findability and advertising concept. And I think it's a good point. I just don't think it's a point unique to Roblox. If you want to figure out what to play on Roblox, it only shows the thousand or so games out of its 20 million that have the most players right now. There are no discoverability tools that let you see the newest games or to help new designers, which implies 
to anyone looking at this from the outside that Roblox doesn't care whether you find those other games, which also suggests that Roblox's other games are not the beating heart of its valuation or how it intends to get Robux out the door. But it's worth noting that this makes things very difficult for people. It makes things difficult for people on the PlayStation. It makes things difficult for people on Steam and elsewhere. So this is a good criticism, but it doesn't make it exploitative. And it also doesn't make it non-obvious. If you go to Roblox before you start making your game, you can see they're only going to show the top thousand. You know there are 20 million out there. And so we're not quite getting to the level of exploitation that I would have hoped for in this particular argument. So... If you're a kid trying to make games for Roblox, you have two choices at this point. You can hustle and try and get your game in front of streamers or YouTubers, or you can pay Roblox to advertise it. A system that is discussed by developers in forum threads is a gamble, with developers hoping that with the right game and the right ad, they'll grab enough players that their game ends up surfacing. Now, this to me is again, a fairly standard description of advertising as it stands today. Again. I own a company. I know a number of you also own companies that watch these videos. You put an ad out, you do some A-B testing, you hope it has a realization. If it doesn't, you cut it off, you start a new one. If it does, great. You put more money into it. And it is in fact a gamble because nobody can read the human mind or what people want to see in virtual legality or want to pay for in terms of legal services or otherwise. So it's definitely a gamble. But also note that he's skipping one thing that you could also do. He wants to keep this as Roblox being an exploitative evil empire. And he's going to continue with that thread throughout the video. But you can also pay someone outside of Roblox to advertise it. Roblox is a known commodity. You could buy just general advertising and whatever advertising source that you might see fit might not be as strong as putting it directly into Roblox, but you don't have to pay them money for that purpose. And again, if Roblox is sitting there saying, hey, we've got 20 million of these things, they don't really care whether or not you make another one. All of this makes sense. It's only when you take it from the opposite premise, the premise on which the video was based on, that it starts to make a little less sense. Continuing with his argument, the thing is, Roblox Corporation benefits from making a very small fraction of its developers almost all of the money because then those devs can then keep updating their popular game or make new games. They can go full-time and hire people to work for them. Presumably, he's not talking about kids at this point, but who knows? And yes, there are a lot of professional developers that work within the Roblox space, but also note, again, how this belies the very premise of his video, which is that Roblox is dependent on these kids making things. Now he says Roblox benefits directly from only having a small fraction of its developers make all the money. And if that is in fact the case, it doesn't need those other folks making games. They just want to have those tools out there in case somebody wants to do that. And if they get lucky, then that's great. But Roblox isn't otherwise incentivized, isn't really exploiting as best I can tell. And certainly every transaction that we've so far looked at and described in this video and theirs is voluntary. So if they really do benefit from having a small fraction of its developers make almost all the money, then it's unclear what premise this video was even made on. Now, I actually challenge this sentence. I don't think Roblox is benefited by concentrating power in only a few of its developers, but we will get to that. Yes, of course we will. Next. But then if some young wunderkin does make the next great thing on Roblox, there is nothing to stop an older team of developers taking the idea, refining it, re-releasing it, and then advertising it. And yes, that's a bad thing. That could be very disheartening to any kind of independent developer. And it's certainly something that is limited only to the Roblox ecosystem. Wait, 
Those of you watching on YouTube can see the thumbnail that I just did earlier this week where Among Us fought Fortnite about Fortnite's new imposters mode. Among Us, not on Roblox. Among Us on Itch.io and Steam and various other platforms. Not on Roblox as far as I know. Uh, and so this is an issue for an independent developer of all stripes. Is that exploitative? Is that something that Roblox is responsible for? In fact, I would argue it's the opposite. We talked in this very video that is on your screen right now about the fact that copyright is intended only to protect expressions and not ideas because we, the consumer, like to see ideas realized, expressed in different ways. And yes, that's a bummer for the independent developer that finds the market and makes bank but it's also the best way that we have found to keep those ideas flowing and actually locking in those ideas to only specific individuals or entities would be disastrous for creative pursuits of all stripes. So yes, again, you've identified potential problems with selling video games in terms of findability. There's too many out there. You're not getting enough advertising and they ask you to pay for the advertising that we would otherwise give you. They advantage people that make them a lot of money already. That's all true. And your idea could get stolen. Okay, we're still talking about interesting learning environments and nothing really specific to Roblox. So we press on to the revenue split. While on paper, developers get that 24.5% of a game's sales in reality, it's even lower. If we look at Roblox's published records, we can read that for every dollar Roblox earns in bookings, only 17 cents make it out of the ecosystem to developers. Now, he admits as part of this video, and I didn't include it in the quote, but he admits that this is opaque and even his analysts don't know if this is exactly right and that this is their best guess. And we talked about bookings, but that 17 cents concept comes from their registration statement for their public offering, where they say 17% of our bookings were paid directly to developers in the nine months ended September 30th, 2020. And so out of the money that came in buying Robux, 17% went back out to developers. The difficulty with what he is saying in his kind of assumption is that he doesn't recognize the difference between bookings and revenue. So 17% is going to be out of the Robux that were purchased, but there's going to be some treasury amount of Robux that are in the economy that are still going to be making money for developers that were purchased during this time frame outside of that time frame. So it's a higher number in terms of overall dollars that go out to developers. And you can also see it had big time growth. The, the payments the year before were 70 million to developers. They were 205 million. And then you also see the way businesses are run. They pay 24% of bookings to things like the App Store. And hey, maybe you're on Epic side of Apple versus Epic. We'll get a ruling on that someday. 24% is made to compensation and benefits for the people that work on the servers and infrastructure and marketing, whatever else. 8% is that direct infrastructure kind of concept. So this is the people up here. This is the actual boxes and things that do things down here. And if you go and you look at this chart, you see the 17%, 15%, 16, 14 is a big chunk of the overall bookings that the company makes. Now, is that enough? I don't know, but neither does Quentin Smith. And ultimately, whether or not that's enough for you, whether that's a fair split, is going to be up to the developers. Certainly, Roblox has no issue attracting professional developers right now, and neither did Quentin Smith for interviews in his video. So the question becomes, why exactly should that number be raised if you've already got 20 million experiences, you're already attracting plenty of developers, if developers get upset and are no longer happy with your rate, you re-examine that, that the supply of development is no longer meeting what your demand for it is. If it's not, then essentially you're looking at an economically optimal solution where, hey, people are happy with what they're getting paid. They're doing the work that they want to do in order to potentially realize those gains. And Roblox is making the money 
that it's making. One of the problems with a video like this is essentially believing that it's a bad deal. And you don't have to disagree with that to disagree with the premise of this video. I don't think it's a great deal. I don't think operating on a lot of these platforms is a great deal. We're going to talk about YouTube in, in just a minute. But when you make your livelihood or attempt to make your livelihood through the platform of another and terms and service that we've talked about throughout virtual legality that can be changed on a dime at a whim at any point, then you're always taking a risk. And, and yes, you can target this critique that Mr. Smith is making at children and say children need to be protected. But we're going to talk about the terms of service for Roblox as well as part of that question. But even if you target it at them, the question becomes, who are you to step into their shoes and tell them that this thing that they want to do at the rates that are otherwise put forward for them is something that they should not be permitted to do because you know better than them? And obviously a lot of people think this way, and, and that's fine. Reasonable minds can differ on this score, but I'd ask you to think about it as we continue with this video. On the revenue spit, you also see people saying that devs asking for more money is silly because Roblox has never been a profitable company. In fact, it hasn't been a profitable company even in this last quarter return. It loses money every single year, and so there's no extra money to give out. That is bullocks. Bullocks not British, but don't take my word for it. Take the word of the market analysts who have decided that as many uh, money-making machine Roblox is worth seven Ubisofts. Now there's a whole lot going on here, but I think we can just say the market analysts are not always right. So don't take the word of analysts of really any stripe. Don't take my word. Go get other sources to triangulate how you feel about this issue and others, but also that there's a difference between market capitalization and actual cash flow. We've already talked about the problem with this argument saying, why would you pay them more if you already have too many things that are unfindable as it is? But even if you could, what type of argument is it that the secondary market, people out in the world sharing interests in your company believe it's worth 42 billion, which is really just setting a share price for a percentage of the company. What does that change for whether or not you as a company have cash flow to actually give out to people. The answer to this, by the way, is nothing. The number of market capitalization, the secondary markets put on a valuation for a company does not mean one thing for a company's operational capacity, cash flow, or otherwise. They think it does. There's math that's being done to arrive at that number, but ultimately the secondary markets are being sold at a value of what somebody is willing to pay for that thing you're willing to sell. And that number comes out of the wisdom of the mob and investments and analysis and all that kind of thing. It doesn't say one thing about the intrinsic value of the company or whether or not it can pay out people more, even if it wanted to. Roblox is just doing the same thing as companies like Spotify, Uber, and Airbnb, something known as platform capitalism. All of these companies in Roblox have a business model based on unsustainable expansion, always moving into more countries, hiring more staff, increasing their expenses until they control the entire market sector. And, and here we really have the rubber hitting the road to some extent, and it all becomes a little bit more clear as to what this video is about. So platform capitalism in general is a concept about platforms trying to gobble up people within their own service sector and for the most part, targeted at data collection. That's how I've understood platform capitalism as a term of art to be meant, but you also see it as somewhat uh, upset about capitalism as a concept in general. So this really kind of drops the mask of what this entire video is about, which is a general upsetness 
on the nature of capitalism, platforms, technology, video games, and elsewise. They don't actually bring evidence that Roblox is engaged in unsustainable expansion or hiring more staff or even trying to control an entire market sector. They just assume its premise and arrive at statements like, Roblox is a publicly traded company now, which means it has a legal obligation to maximize profits. And if Roblox wasn't losing money year after year, its investors could reasonably turn around and say, why not? Now, this in and of itself has a couple of mistakes in it, but the first is one that a lot of people make, even in virtual reality, even however many times I mention it, which is becoming publicly traded is not what starts a company's fiduciary duties. What starts fiduciary duties is taking money from somebody. Once officers, directors have somebody else's money in the coffers of the company, they have a fiduciary obligation to protect and grow that money. Why? Because it's not theirs. Investors have given the company the money to protect and grow. That doesn't change before you're on the New York Stock Exchange. And it doesn't change after you're on the New York Stock Exchange. So every company in the United States has an obligation, the directors and officers do, to be fiduciaries, to be protectors, guardians of the stack of money that other people gave them for a specific purpose. Now, in terms of maximizing profits, that's also a little simplistic because what you have an obligation to do is protect and grow that money. That might mean you're dumb and you try to maximize short-term profits and burn all the assets and goodwill of the company in short order. In fact, virtual legality wouldn't even exist if we didn't have a lot of dumb companies doing a lot of dumb things. But it doesn't necessitate that. And if Roblox were to turn around and look at this YouTube video and say, you know what, we aren't treating our people fairly or maybe we are exploiting them, why would they pay them more? And how could that be justified under the public company rubric? It would be to say, we're going to maximize long-term revenue gains. We're going to increase our goodwill. This is a marketing effort. We're going to try harder to make you love us more. And a lot of companies justify all manner of things like that, whether it's uh, political advertisements or politically adjacent advertisements or goodwill eco initiatives, whatever it might be that at the bottom line increases their costs, they think decreases their costs or increases their goodwill due to the nature of the expenditure. So this is far, far, far too simplistic. And it's the kind of argument you get from people that just reflexively say, ooh, capitalism. Obviously, as a corporate lawyer, that's not going to be me. And the same goes for investors could reasonably turn around and say, why not about losing money? Investors don't want to lose money. Investors want to make profits on their shares, but they also want the company to be aggressive and trying to grow where it's obvious that it should grow using its core competencies and synergies and business powers to grow and protect the money that they have. So yes, if they aren't doing enough, investors can say, why aren't you doing more? And if you've already got 20 million experiences, why did you triple the price you're paying for them? That's a good question if you're on the investor side. You also get questions now about paper value and money. And so when Roblox developers come around cap in hand asking for more revenue, there's never any left. Even though the platform has 200 million monthly users and the CEO is a billionaire. Because if Roblox were to give more money to game developers, that's simply less money it can spend growing the platform and becoming a monopoly. Now, it's unclear to me what Quinns thinks is the monopoly end goal of Roblox. Monopoly over video games, video game development, that's not going to happen. So what is he thinking here? He equates it to things like Facebook, which has a slightly clearer monopoly, even though that's a free service and you can social media elsewhere on Twitter or other places on the internet. But the platform capitalism conceit that he's opened with kind of demands that you're moving towards a monopoly. So he just rolls with it in a way that's unclear. The other problem is, of course, the CEO is a billionaire and they have 200 million monthly users. So 
I know he knows this, but 200 million monthly users who are buying a certain amount of Robux are putting money in bookings into the company and the company still isn't making revenue. It's still not profitable over what it's spending for upkeep. So that doesn't make money appear out of thin air, even if you have a whole bunch of monthly users. As for the CEO being a billionaire, if you go and you look at the article that he is quoting from when he makes that statement in his video, it's a article about the public offering and the fact that the CEO has a bunch of stock in Roblox. Now, even if the CEO wanted to give money directly to developers or other people, which is, of course, his discretion, he doesn't have that money to give just holding stock. And if the CEO sells a bunch of stock from the company, you know what happens to the value of the company and the stock and the CEO? It plummets, which is, of course, a known quantity, but people tend to get those headlines and say he's a billionaire because this is what the stock's worth right now. And they don't think about it being paper wealth, which could go away in an instant if everybody decided that Roblox just was a terrible platform tomorrow. Now we move on to the fourth and most significant argument, I think. And I think he makes some good points here. And it's one of the reasons why I might sit here and say, I, I probably wouldn't invest my time or effort into Roblox. I probably wouldn't recommend it to my kids. But my saying that, again, talking earlier in the video, doesn't mean that I think that you couldn't make a different determination and that the entirety of their model should be banned because I probably don't think it's a great deal. So let's talk about Robux. To buy anything in Roblox, you first have to convert your real money to the company's virtual currency, Robux. We go into the Roblox terms of use here as a bit of a sojourn because we like to talk about terms of use here, and we see a couple of things. First, we see a little bit of discounting the for the children argument that this video makes in general. It says in order to agree to these terms, you need to be 18 or older. So in order to actually use Roblox, you have to be 18 or older. Now everybody knows that isn't in fact the case for most users. They in fact target kids with their entire offering and their marketing, or you have your parents or guardians consent to agree to the terms and you have the power to enter into a binding contract with us and not be barred from doing so under any applicable law. So you have to be 18, you have to be the age of majority in most of the states in the United States, or you have to have a parent sign off on it. Now, does everybody do that? I have no doubts in my mind, even as a lawyer who would never assume the worst of any human being when looking at these contracts, that some folks maybe aren't 18 and aren't the parent in this particular relationship. And if you want to come and argue and say, Quinn's is right and it's for the children, that's okay, because Roblox should be doing something more to make sure that in this particular environment, you are at least having your parent look at this and sign off on it, I wouldn't disagree. I don't mind saying you need to make sure that a parent has actually looked at this and it's not just a kid signing up for an account. But assuming, as we have to, that this contract is being abided by, it's not aimed at kids at all. And then we get into the second area here, which is about this revenue share. If we scroll down and down and down, we see ways to acquire Robux. One is by transferring content services to other users in exchange for Robux. There's other ways. You can buy it from them. Obviously, that's their main bookings mechanism. But this is what this video is about. You make something in Roblox, you sell it to another user. But here's where that rubber hits the road. Robux do not have an equivalent value in real currency, act as a substitute for real currency, act as consideration for a legally enforceable contract, or earn interest, like we've seen with respect to Fortnite or with respect to anything else you could read that has a virtual currency feature. This money is supposed to go in and effectively never come out. The difference is that Roblox actually provides for a way that it might come out. 
And this you see referenced as the DevX program. It says, participating in DevX, we, in our sole discretion, may allow eligible users of the service to participate in the DevX. Users participating in the DevX may redeem Robux for U.S. currency from us based upon an exchange ratio and other requirements, procedures, and limitations established by us in our sole discretion from time to time. We, in our sole discretion, have the absolute right to manage, modify, suspend, revoke, and terminate the DevX without notice. So if you're a lawyer and maybe you're a 10-year-old and you just hire me to talk to you about these terms, you would look at this and say, oh, okay, the baseline rule is any of these Robux that I can get through selling my stuff on the game is worth nothing. And maybe I could be eligible for something that gets me dollars out the door if they, Roblox, deigns to allow it to be so. And if I'm looking at this and I'm advising my kids or I'm talking to someone else, I say, oh, this is silly. They could take it away at any time. It's not going to have great terms. That's one of the things that Quinns is going to complain about here. We see a minimum withdrawal amount of 100,000 Robux, which is $1,000 to buy directly from Roblox. Roblox, he says, is increasing the chance that you won't hit that cap and will just plow their Robux back into Roblox. And when you try to withdraw that 100,000, it doesn't get you $1,000 it gets you 350. And as we just talked about, even that 350 is subject to change at any reason, right? We go and we look at the terms of use here. It says, one, you have to be 13 years old, which is one of the interesting parts of his video because he's interviewing an 11-year-old. You have to have 100,000 Robux in your account and you have to be a member of Robux Premium. You have to be paying them additional money to get this cash out consideration. But as we just talked about, Roblox reserves the right to change the exchange rate at any time and for any reason, or to just cancel the whole program. If you're looking at this set of documents, your understanding should be this complaint, which Quinns brings up, which I think is legitimate, is worse than what he puts forth in his video because none of this is promised to someone. And if you're gonna put your time and attention into making something cool, you have no idea what that rate will be, whether you'll be eligible for it, and whether or not the program will exist by the time you're done. And in all honesty, I look at the situation that Roblox is in right now, and I say, if you're telling me that I'm exploiting them for offering this option at all, then maybe I should just cut it off entirely and pay developers separately under contracts that maybe I can make more lucrative for myself. Now, along with this, although I agree with this, and I agree overall that it's not a great deal and it's a bad idea for a lot of people, it's worth noting that it is a bit ironic coming from someone that makes his hay here on YouTube, right? And we know kids love YouTube. You can see here surveys done that say, what do kids want to be? They want to be vloggers and YouTubers, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. Now, the Chinese want to be astronauts. But in terms of here, if you want to be a YouTuber, you're already agreeing to a whole hash of random stuff. And he knows this. He knows how hard it is to make money on YouTube. This latest video from him has got 32,000 views. It's probably a couple hundred bucks, maybe, that he's making on that YouTube. And it's definitely not going to pay for the family to eat. And he's working on different ways to make that money, including Patreon that he plugs at the end of this video that we're discussing today. In terms of the split itself, nobody can really get that number down on paper. You've got open questions in 2020 saying, hey, I see everybody says that the split is 45% YouTube and 55% creators, but I don't see that number anywhere. I can tell you, I looked for it this morning. I looked at it in my materials. I don't see that number anywhere either. What you get is you make some videos, YouTube gives you a dollar amount, and there you go. Hope hope you like what YouTube deigned to give you. 
other contractual settings where you would have an actual commercial relationship with another entity, you'd have an audit right. You'd have a right to go in and say, okay, you've given me X amount of dollars, which is presumably based on this other agreed term that we have talked about in advance. And now I get to go look in your books and records and talk to your people to make sure that I was properly paid. That doesn't happen with YouTube. It doesn't happen with Twitch or Facebook or anywhere else. You get the number and hopefully you're satisfied with it. Is that a great way to make a livelihood? I don't think so. But you've got other methods. You've got Patreons. You've got shirts. Check out below this video. Maybe you want to get a law degree and run a law firm. That also works as a secondary income, of course, to my primary YouTube income, right? But ultimately, what I think is a bad idea works for me in this context, making these videos for you all, because I think it's important to get the information out there. I think it's entertaining for both myself and hopefully for my viewers to kind of deep dive into these various things. And regardless of whether YouTube deigns to pay me 53 cents or $5 for any given thing, I'm still enjoying doing it. And I'm understanding the situation that I've put myself in. I'm not a child. I'm an old man at this point. But this for the children aspect is somewhat belied by the parental guardian concept. And maybe your real issue, if you think it's exploitative, is that you don't think parents are watching out enough for this stuff. But the lack of regulation in today's tech sector is causing a lot of historically illegal practices coming back again with a new lick of paint. Roblox paying people in Robux is very, very similar to historical mining and logging camps in the United States paying people in company script. Now, I have to admit, before I watched this video, I was not expecting to discuss company script with you all today. In fact, company towns, company script, these are the kinds of things that you will discuss in law school. If you're a 1L right now, just starting out, good luck to you. You will be talking about this kind of stuff in contracts and duress and things like that. So do enjoy. But the question becomes, is this actually analogous to company script? He calls it historically illegal, and he calls for regulation in this particular sector. What is script? Script was currency and invent uh, currency invented and manufactured by companies that could only be used to buy things within the company's camp. For example, in the stores that they would build. In fact, that was one of the primary problems with it is you'd get paid, say, a thousand American dollars, and you'd get it instead in fifty Hoglaw bucks. And whereas you are stuck in a logging camp or a mining camp eons away from civilization, I thankfully have a company store that can provide you with lanterns or oatmeal or whatever else it is you might need. However, that box of oatmeal, which is maybe $3 of American, which would equate, you'd think, to whatever amount in my script is actually the whole 50. So I'm very sorry about that. But if you'd like to work for me a little bit more, you could potentially buy a little bit more. You could get a second box of oatmeal or maybe even one of those fine lanterns for going into the mine. And as you can see, once you are beholden to a company at that level and you're employed by them and your distance geographically from anywhere else becomes a problem, that becomes a problem for United States law. Now, Quinn sees it a little bit differently. He says the mining camps liked paying people with their own invented money for the same reasons Roblox does. One, it means workers spend their money at the company, which makes the company richer. Pause. No, it definitely doesn't. Remember what script is. It's fake paper with a picture of me on it. And I give it to you so that you can buy things back from me so that I can keep you beholden to me. I didn't get richer from making a piece of paper with my face on it and then giving it to you and then getting it back from you. In fact, I got marginally poorer in terms of American dollars because I actually had to go buy that box of oatmeal for $3. So that on its face is wrong. Two, workers become more afraid of breaking company rules because the company can take away your ability to spend your script. 
essentially confiscating your paycheck, and we'll combine three because it's one point. Script makes it harder for workers to quit their job because the moment they do, they get poorer. They get demonstrably poorer. But those two points are the same. That's the reason that Script was banned is because if you're getting paid in something that is only ever going to be recognized by your employer, well, then your employer can do bad things to you. They can ask you bad things. And if you leave, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because you've just given up a year of your life getting pieces of paper with Hoag's face on them. And the target's not going to take that money. I'm very, very sorry. So that's the primary issue here. And then you wind up asking yourself, well, are Roblox designers that are 10 years old, 11 years old, as shown in this video, that are making things in their off time with free tools that aren't dependent upon it for any living expenses and have the ability to get to any other location and use US American dollars for any purpose, are they in the same position as these folks with respect to script? And I would challenge you to say that they are. Now, he finishes off by saying script so messes with workers' abilities to make money that it was banned in the United States in 1938. And until we legislate script again in the digital age, Roblox is going to keep paying developers with pretend money. And I would say to him a couple of things. One, we do legislate script in the digital age. If you tried to pay somebody that was working on editing your videos at Shut Up and Sit Down in, you know, Quinn's Bucks, you'd have a problem if they were your employee. If you're in this situation, you're running a virtual currency shop that occasionally gives out American dollars. That's not a wage, which is, of course, the fundamental problem. As Wiki says, and I don't recommend looking at Wiki, I have to say, for anything that is remotely politically adjacent, this seems pretty okay, but do take everything with a grain of salt. The reason company script was used is that the remote locations were cash poor. Workers had very little choice but to purchase food, food and other goods at a company store. In this way, the company could charge enormous markups, making workers completely dependent on the company and enforcing their loyalty 100%. But you don't have to stay in Roblox if you don't like it. You could make something in Minecraft right now. You could make a Roblox game and a Minecraft game and be totally fine with it. And that's the reason this argument falls apart. Why? Because he points to laws against this kind of thing. What's the law? Payment in script or similar medium. Not authorized. The CFR, the federal regulations. Scrip and similar devices are not proper mediums of payment under the act. What act is that? Well, that's the Fair Labor Standards Act, which talks what? About wages to employees. This, and I'm very sorry to say, is not an employment relationship between the kid making games on Roblox and the Roblox Corporation. It is not. They don't control your hours. They don't mandate that you deliver anything. There's no paycheck. There's no benefits. There's nothing that looks anything like an employment relationship. So without an employment relationship, there's nothing that looks like a wage, which means when we're talking about Robux, we aren't talking about script. But maybe Quentin Smith just loves the stuff like AB5 that we've talked about in Virtually God. If you aren't familiar with AB5, it's a law that was passed in California that essentially says, if you want to work for Uber, if you want to work for Lyft, if you want to work for some other gig economy kind of platforms, then you have to be treated as an employee because you are doing the thing that they mostly do. And that's a massive shortening, as I'm sure you can imagine now hearing a lawyer for 51 minutes already. But suffice it to say, it's massively increasing the size of folks that are both beneficiaries of employment regulations and also harmed by them when the Ubers and Lyfts of the world move out of the states or municipalities or otherwise 
cause trouble. So maybe Quentin Smith thinks that essentially these people should be treated as employees even though they don't have set hours, even though they don't have any obligations to the company. And that's an entirely different conversation. Certainly I have come out as saying, I think this is the wrong way to handle gig economy workers. I like the freedom that it affords. And I've seen that with respect to my freelancer writer friends and other folks, including clients that have had problems with this particular set of laws and rules. We'll see if it passes to some great extent in the United States. And then maybe this conversation winds up being a little different if and when it does. Now, we do have some bonus arguments here. Those are his primary arguments. As I've already pointed out, I've got a certain amount of respect for the comments about Robux not being great. I think that's perfectly reasonable to tell folks about. And I think it's great to, to have more folks be aware of the problems with any kind of virtual currency that converts on that. We did a whole video on Earth 2 about virtual currencies and other problems in their terms of service. He pointed out that he thinks that the advertising on the site makes it a little bit too pushy that you could make money, make millions of dollars doing a game like this, and most of them aren't going to make that. Maybe he's right there. But fundamentally, the crux of his argument, I think, fails on its face, which is that there's 20 million experiences. You can't find your game if you make it. And also developers need to be paid more. Those just don't go together in a fashion that I find terribly useful. And one of the things that he winds up leaning on to push this premise to the finish line is comments from children and comments from labor activists. Let's check it out. In the words of one 11-year-old I interviewed, now before we get started, I have to say, when you see that line, I, I would often have a grain of salt with whatever that 11-year-old is going to say, but this is ostensibly about kids, and so I think we can give it the credence to which it is owed, but I also might say as part of that, that maybe Quentin Smith should have given it that credence when we get to the end and conclusions of the video. We'll get there. Even though Roblox encourages you to make games, the likelihood of you making a successful game is basically zero. This is the 11-year-old talking. You always compete with the people that have lots of money. And I feel you. I, I you know, as the, as the operator of a small law firm, I understand getting outbid for advertising and being in the cocktail parties with the big firms. I, I understand it completely. I don't think that's a Roblox exploitation problem. That is a real world learning experience, in my opinion. And it seems like this kid is actually pretty well adjusted and has learned that lesson but is being used in this video to try to make a point that he isn't specifically making. Or as Quinn says, Emil's disappointment wasn't to do with whether Roblox's revenue split was fair. He hadn't really thought about that concept. So he's not covering the middle section, the important section of the video at all. He was just upset that Roblox only shows its users games that have tons of fans. He doesn't like the findability. I don't know a video game developer that's either a client or outside my purview that likes the findability of the platform that they're on. Maybe there are some exceptions. Please leave a comment to my video to talk to me about the platform that you really love the findability and discoverability features on. But in general, this is a complaint that developers of all stripes, sizes, monetary means, and otherwise have had. And Quinns is trying to say that the revenue share isn't fair and other things. He doesn't even go that far. In fact, he'll go even less far by the time we see his final comments. Then we have the other kind of big aspect here. We talked about the use of platform capitalism to kind of belie what this video is all about. It's a kind of generalized anti-capitalism statement that is using Roblox as a jumping point, but isn't really focused on Roblox, which is why you get these incongruities throughout the video. Then you see the labor activism part. Comparing it to YouTube, and this is a labor activist he had on his video, you and I know of many YouTube channels where it's like, oh, I'm actually a boss with employees now, and so are all the top Roblox games. The people making money on Roblox, which ostensibly makes money for Roblox, are all big and have employees and bosses. The activist says you can't organize bosses. Their interests do not align with workers. So that's a premise that is assumed, and that's fine. 
But what's interesting about this is that it leaps out in the same way that we just saw earlier in the video, which is this notion that Roblox wants to advantage a concentrated area of its development because bosses, whatever that might mean, people with companies, I guess, are more likely to go along with what Roblox wants. In fact, Quinns winds up saying a few things on this nature. The coalition for app fairness, to me, to my eyes, and again, I've talked a lot about Epic versus Apple in the last year, seems to belie the notion that a company could ever get to any size where it wouldn't be willing to work with others if it thought that the terms and conditions on which it sold its goods or services were unfair. This, of course, is fronted by people like Epic Games, which is a billion-dollar company fighting against a trillion-dollar company in Apple and in Google. So if you are taking it under advisement on Roblox that we need to make sure that the people that have the most money are concentrated into a small group so that they don't organize against us, I think probably you should be fired because the more folks that have the bigger interest in the money that they're making from your platform and it's concentrated in fewer individuals and entities, the more likely you are to come out with a coalition for app fairness. Because if you got 400,000 people that each have an interest in your platform, it's very difficult to organize that. If you have 12, not so difficult. Quinns doesn't buy that though. He says, that does track with my experience. I reached out to one extraordinarily successful Roblox developer for this piece, and they did agree to speak to me on the condition that we didn't reveal their identity. And this particular developer, whose quotes I didn't include in this video, said such really off-the-wall things as, young people shouldn't overwork themselves, and I am disinclined to talk about my platform cut in a negative way because I'm relatively happy with my relationship with Roblox. But he uses it here in a very interesting way to suggest that that person, the big company that's making money from Roblox has been co-opted by the exploitative machine when, in fact, none of this theory actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah, you can't organize bosses. That's not true. Their interests do not align with workers. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But in any instance where you're talking about developers acting as independent contractors for another, they are the bosses in that particular formulation. Finally, we end with conclusions. Free tools to get kids messing around and making stuff that their friends can come and play also for free? That's awesome. Agreed. That anonymous developer who spoke to me said that they wish Roblox was around when they were a kid and trying and failing to make games in Flash. But that's not what makes Roblox money. Hmm, what does? What makes Roblox money is empowering kids into workers with unreasonable expectations of what they can achieve on this platform in a way that would be illegal if it wasn't happening online. Now, he references illegality in a couple of spaces, mostly related to company script. I don't know whether that's what he means by illegality here, but I don't have anything in this video that he has made that would suggest what is happening here would be illegal if, say, there was a magazine that said, you can get your magazine article printed here and make a lot of money, send it in, and we'll see if we print it. And you send it in and you didn't make a lot of money. That's not illegal. That's just the way of the world. So whether or not that's what he's talking about is a little bit unclear. But also what's unclear is, again, that very baseline premise. He thinks that Roblox is making money empowering kids into workers when every other aspect of this video suggests that Roblox doesn't make money from those 99% of the development experiences that he says flame out, that he's got on record in this video saying they didn't make any money. That's not how Roblox makes money. Roblox makes money selling you Robux to spend in their experiences. If you aren't buying those Robux, if you aren't using them in their experiences, 
they aren't making money. So it's a little bit unclear what he means by this at all. I think the answer in this case is the labor activist is that it should simply be regulated that Roblox cannot have people sell within their games if their audience is largely children. Now, I can't speak for him. I can't read people's minds. But that sounds to me like he thinks that the DevX situation should be eliminated in its entirety. And is that solved? If you're giving free tools away, you say you can reach millions of people, they might play your game, you could potentially get Robux out of that game if they buy things, but we'll never exchange it ever for US dollars. Does that solve your issue if you are a kid? Are you less exploited, even on the terms that Quentin Smith puts forth? I'd argue that you aren't. If instead... They mean that you shouldn't be allowed to develop things within their platform at all. How does that work? How does that help the kid that's got these free tools and wants to have them put out there? Essentially, what you get in these conclusions are two people who are doing different things with their lives, making money in one case on a platform like YouTube, and telling other folks that they think this is such a bad deal that they shouldn't be allowed to enter into it. And I will always, always, always have a problem with putting my judgment or theirs in front of your own. You want to talk about kids being exploited, that's fine. And maybe parents aren't involved enough and maybe Roblox can make sure parents are involved enough. But outside of that, you telling kids that they shouldn't have the right or option that other folks are saying that they would love to have, that goes too far for me and it always will. As he finishes off, he finishes off with the following. Roblox is going to continue doing anything it can to scratch revenue out of its young, vulnerable audience, no matter whether they're getting fair pay whether it's good for their health or whether they're fully empowered to walk away. And this does nothing to change any of the things I just said about his prior stance, other than to point out the other comments I've made in this video. He says he can determine what fair pay is. He can do it instead of you. He says that I can know, as Quentin Smith in Britain, whether something is good for your health with no proof or evidence that anybody is getting unhealthy, making things for Roblox. Or whether they're fully empowered to walk away doesn't make any sense at all. Company Script has that, right? You're in the woods. You're in a mine somewhere. How can you not just stop making games for Roblox? And if you did make enough money that you've got it in their ecosystem, then how are you complaining about the money that you made on the terms that you made it? So again, we have a lot of failings here and failings that thankfully the 11-year-old pretty much notes. What about a meal? Our 11-year-old game developer, what does he think should be done? Do you think kids should be encouraged to try and sell things on Roblox? What does Emil say? I think kids should be encouraged, but they shouldn't be lied to about how easy it is because it's not easy. And on that, I think I can agree. Emil, 11-year-old, I think he's got the right go about it. It shouldn't be lying to you. It shouldn't be putting forth statements that you're never going to achieve. But he says, hey, I like to do this. I think it should be encouraged that kids try to put stuff on Roblox and presumably elsewhere, but they just should worry a little bit more about their advertising with no comments on revenue share or company script or all this other stuff that labor activism, Quinn Smith, and everyone else wants to bring to this particular party. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this discussion of... Roblox, video games, pop culture, law, and business, please consider supporting the channel. As we just said, YouTube doesn't put food on the table, doesn't really pay the bills for really anyone. But if you'd like to support us, I would very much appreciate it. There's also other links to supporting the channel below. Or if you just subscribe, tell your friends we're having these conversations. Hey, maybe tell Quinns. I would love to have the conversation with him. And we could also talk about why Stardew Valley is a better board game than he thinks. If you got this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode 
of virtual legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. 